Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Furkan Dandia. This is the third and last episode of the Everyday Man series, where I feature three men that I know who are fathers and husbands. They are building a future for their families while putting in the work to better themselves so they can be better fathers and husbands. These are true heroes in our lives, but do not get the praise they deserve. In this week's episode, I sit down with Ryan King. Ryan shares his journey through life and building a business to the point where he was able to retire at the age of 35. However, that led Ryan to start questioning his purpose and determine how he could make a difference in the world by helping others through sharing his wisdom. In this episode, Ryan and I also discuss how we can become fathers, better fathers to our children and better men for our partners. If at the end of the episode, you can leave a five-star review, I would truly appreciate it. All right, Ryan, welcome to the Easy Conversations podcast. I'm super grateful for you to take the time and, you know, really appreciative of having this conversation, or I'm looking forward to this conversation for sure. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm doing a three-episode series on what I'm calling the everyday man. And the way I see the everyday man is someone who's, you know, out there doing their thing, working their job, but also a father and a husband and, and doing great work as a man. And often guys like yourself don't get enough attention or praise because you're not doing like the real sexy stuff, I, I, you know, like superhero yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, for sure. But I think there's something to be said about doing all that work and, you know, showing up for your kids and, and your wife. So uh, I'm really excited about this conversation. But before we get started, I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and where you're located and stuff like that, if, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my name is Ryan King. I live in Arkansas, um, in Van Buren, Arkansas. Um, I own a business. I've owned, owned my own business for um, about 12 years. Got two kids, 11 and 13. Um, and yeah, I'm really just getting started. Um, you know, I never really had much of a social media presence or, or anything like that. Um, so I'm, I'm really just kind of getting started in this world and trying to make, make, an, make an impact and, and um, just pursue things that I'm interested in, in now. So that's kind of where I'm at. Cool. Yeah. And, and like, I know we were talking offline here, but maybe if you don't mind sharing your journey a little bit, like what got you to this point and why do you feel compelled to make an impact? Why is it important to you? Yeah, sure. Well, um, you know, I think I spent the first, you know, um, really 10 or 12 years of my, you know, adult life after I got married and had kids, it was just, you know, like, like most men, I think, um, it's just a scramble, you know, trying, you're just trying to survive. You're trying to get going. Um, and nobody's really prepared you for how to, how to be a man. And so all this, all this stuff gets thrown at you all at once. You know, you got to learn a career, you got to learn how to make money. You got to learn how to be married and live with, you know, live with a woman all the time that you don't understand and that you know you don't know really how to communicate with them you got like a roommate that 
you know, you got to yeah. learn that, you know, and then you become a dad, you got to learn this. And it's just like this constant barrage of, of new information. And so I just feel like the first, you know, from the time I was 25 until the time I was 35, it was just such a blur of just survival and reaction, reacting. And, you know, I don't think it has to be that way. I think if you have, if you want to put your life in a great position, that's a, a part of the process, you know, like I could have not been in survival mode for those 10 years and just coasted more, but I wanted more for my life than that. You know, so the, the first 10, the first, you know, 10 years of getting started with a business, getting married, having kids and all that, if you have high, high ambition, it's just survival. I mean, it's just, it's exhausting. You know, it takes everything you've got mm-hmm. and you don't really have time to take care of yourself or think about what your purpose is or think about your health or any of that stuff. You just, you're just putting out fires all day long, every day, you know? Yeah. And, and, and so for me, um, I happen to do really well in my business and, um, for the most part, I, I would, I would say I'm semi-retired at 35. Um, I'm 38 now. So, um, to answer your question about my, you know, my purpose, you know, my, my philosophy and, and really when, when one of the things that I'm really, that I think was really wise that I didn't really do on purpose necessarily was when, uh, when we first got married and we first had, you know, our first, our first son, um, I had a plan in my mind for what I wanted to do with my career and what I needed to do to get us where we needed to be financially. Um, one of the things that in hindsight that I'm really glad I, that I did is I sat down with my wife and I said, listen, um, you know, this, this first five to 10 years is, is going to have to be mommy time. You know, like number one, I'm not, I'm not good with babies anyway. I think dads are good with teaching stuff and activities and all that, but just, you know, constantly monitoring a baby just isn't natural. Um, we don't have that same instinct, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just sit my, I just sit down with my wife and I said, I need you to, to handle the home stuff so I can focus on the work stuff. And the commitment that I'll make to you is that if, if you'll be my partner in that temporarily, you know, five years, seven years, 10 years, you know, then the way that I will fulfill my end of the bargain is that we'll have a life after that parts over Mm -hmm. that most people don't, won't have. Mm -hmm. Um, and it happened to play out like that. Um, and so that, 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 I think was a really crucial, um, part, you know, ingredient of, you know, getting washed and getting started is really being vocal and communicating and, um, kind of just having a shared vision with your spouse, you know, as you go out and you battle these two things, you know, cause she was battling stuff too, you know, she's learning how to be a mom. She's learned how to be a wife. You know, she's learned how to take care of a house that she's never taken care of. I mean, you know, everybody's got their stuff, but having that shared vision, it made it, we didn't have a lot of conflict that, that I think a lot of couples face when they're going through those early stages, because we had the context of knowing like, yeah. this is a battle we're fighting together. Um, so by the time I was 35, the business, you know, took off and in a way, but by the time I was 35, I was basically, you know, for the most part retired. I, I was making, you know, kind of what we talked about before yeah. we started the recording, you know, like I'm, I'm not motivated by money, you know, at a certain point, I don't feel like there's a discernible difference in your, in your life by going from making hypothetically, you know, $500,000 a year to 
1.5 million a year. At a certain point, there's no you know, tangible difference in your life. You know, yeah. and I think just blindly pursuing money after, you know, after you've got enough to live the life that you want, I think that's unhealthy. <laughs> you know, I don't think a lot of those people are happy. Yeah. Um, you know, but so for me, it was, I, I went through kind of a weird phase afterwards where I, I thought the challenge of owning a business and running a business and making money, I expected it to take longer, you know, um, when I got to the point financially that, I, that I'm at now, um, I felt a little empty, um, not because I, you know, I put too much purpose in business. I just didn't know what to do with myself, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so the last, the last few years, I've just kind of, a lot of it was recovering, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause what it took to, for the, for those 10 years to, to get to that point, it wore me out. I, I wasn't focused on my health. I was, you know, I, I couldn't, you know, and if I could go back and do it again, I wouldn't do anything any different. It was the best strategy to get where I wanted to go. Everything has a cost, you know, the cost mm-hmm. is for me, at least, you know, um, my mental health wasn't great. You know, I was, you know, um, de- I started dealing with depression and different things after, after I've never been a depressed person. Yeah. Um, but after I um, kind of reached that point in my career where it wasn't urgent anymore, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like a mild, mild form of PTSD. You know, you've been going so hard for so long that when, the, when there's not any emergencies anymore, you kind of look around, you're like, what do I do now? Yeah. Um, and so for the, you know, to answer your question about what my purpose is now, you know, the last few years I've been recovering, I've been kind of, getting my mental health right i've been getting my health right i've been uh, you know going to the gym and doing all those things you know i put on 35 pounds of, of muscle in those three years that, i mean i was really unhealthy and, and skinny uh, when i was working a lot you know so i've kind of just been um picking the rest of my life up and getting it up yeah. to par with where my professional life was um and then the last you know the last few years uh, I think we've all seen just dissatisfaction with what's going on in the world, the way people are talking to each other, how many people yeah. are hurting, how many people are frustrated. You know, there's just so much. And, you know, as a business owner, you know, I've, I've always been in leadership. You know, when I was on, I played college baseball. Um, I was always just, that's just something that I feel like I, it just comes naturally to mm-hmm. me, you know, mm-hmm. I'll stand up and lead if nobody else will. Yeah. And so I, um, I've done that in my, in my whole life and my marriage and my business and all that. And when I look around, I know what leaders, what type of leadership works, you know, because I've, I've done it in my own life, but the people that are actually in leadership everywhere that we all, as a, as a society, all of our collective leaders, yeah, none of them are doing it right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, for years I just sit and, would, I was I was real frustrated. I felt like probably a lot of people were feeling just, you know, dissatisfied and confused and annoyed and stressed and angry and frustrated. And you know, one of my favorite quotes is the man in the arena quote by Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. You know, and yeah. you know, I just realized, you know, I started looking at my own behavior after a while. It's like, man, I I'm being the critic up in the stands, you know, and I'm criticizing the people in the arena. I'm I'm, I'm being a little bitch you know yeah and 
I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm going to do something, you know, I'm yeah. going to, I don't know. This is all a learning curve for me. I, you know, I never really, when I was running my business, I never really had time to learn anything about social media or, you know, any, any of these things that I'm, I'm learning now. Um, this is all brand new for me because yeah. I just never had time to learn any of that before. Um, but for me, my, I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines and watching people screw it up. You know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily feel like I'm the most qualified person out there, but you know, I'm, I'll do a better job than the people that are out doing it now. I know mean, that for damn sure. Um, so, and then, so, and then, you know, a lot of, a lot of it is just over the past six or eight months. Um, I've just had a lot of people, you kind of get to a point where just outside observers see the results of your life and say, mm-hmm. I think that guy might know something, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have that. It happened at 25, you know, but when yeah. you're 35 and a certain point, people in your circle, they start seeing you level up, mm-hmm. you know, and they see you level up and level. And you eventually you kind of start becoming this person in your circle that pe- that if somebody has a problem that they can't figure out, they're like, I'm going to go talk to that guy. Cause he seems to have a few things figured out, you know, and, so I've had people over the last few years really start reaching out to me that have seen just, you know, observe, observing my life. And, you know, my wife, you know, um, a lot of her friends, I've just had, it's just been a theme that I've been seeing come up in my life a lot where people are telling me, dude, you need to speak up. You need to start a podcast. You need to do something. Um, and so that's really what initiated me into, into the, this process of, um, putting myself out there is, you know, for me, it's not about money. You know, I want to, I'm, I'm writing a book to my boys and wisdom. Um, I don't see, you know, I got, I just randomly looked on Amazon for a book on wisdom Yeah. and there's, there's like three books entitled that have wisdom in the title on Amazon, you know, and it's like, I mean, it, wisdom is really, really, really important. I yeah. mean, it's like one of the most important skills to be able to have that, that we don't really have a codified, methodology for like what is it how do we do it how do we teach it what does it mean now there is wisdom within a lot of books mm-hmm. to pull it out from but it's there's no manual you know like the book of proverbs is usually what comes up on amazon when you type in wisdom you know that's really the only book that when you say what is a book on wisdom the universal answer is the book of proverbs it's the only yeah. book we know of is that's about wisdom you know and I guess that's kind of the theme of what I'm, what I'm going to be, what I'm writing in my book and what I'm trying to do through my social media presence is, is really just bring wisdom and nuance to the issues that are going on in the, you know, in the world and marriages and all these things. And um, I just look around and I feel like if I would have stepped up sooner and started and started speaking up more that maybe I could have done something to help more often with the people in my life of, had several people that have gone through divorces recently. Um, a lot of men that I know that are struggling with depression and and um, just feeling listless and aimless and things like that. And and to me, I I feel a responsibility to to step up. And if I can do something to help those people, then I want to. You know. So for me, nothing that I'm doing. I'm not trying to be a life coach. You know. One one of the my my bio on my Instagram is you know I'm not a life coach. I'm a role model. Yeah. And I feel really, really self-conscious saying that, but I just felt like that was the best way to get across what I'm trying to do. 
um, because I, I'm not trying to sell coaching programs. I'm not trying to, you know, um, get anybody to join a club or I'm not doing it for money. I'm doing it because it needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what I care about doing. It's what I would do for free. I, I want to help people. I want to make an impact. Um, I want to be a problem solver and, and somebody that's looked to for um, wise, insightful, you know, mm-hmm. outlooks on life. You yeah. know, I want to, I want to write a manual <laughs> for that. You can put in, in anybody's hands. I'm doing it to my boys, you know, um, writing the book to my boys just because I want to then have that legacy. Um, you know, my last name is King. And so that's where the wisdom of Kings comes in. It's kind of yeah. a play on words, but uh, I really just want to write a manual of, of wisdom that I feel like I wish I would have had as a young man mm-hmm. to say, you know, here's how to handle these, these, here's how to handle conflict. Yeah. You know, here's, you know, here's how to handle stress. Here's how to find, here's how to think critically and, and be, you know, objective about things and not get defensive. And uh, here's how to be confident. And, you know, just all these skills that, that nobody seems to have. Yeah. You know? um, that's really, that's really what my vision is for what I'm trying to do. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And I mean, it's, it's, and I think that's, exciting in its own self where you know you take something and you want to make an impact in the world and and to your point not uh get any financial benefit out of it but you just want to help people and and i think that's wonderful and and i guess a few things you touched on i want to explore further uh first of all like i think you know especially with this podcast it's it's centered around men's mental health and, and you alluded to it earlier like was mental health always something you considered a priority or is it just over the past few years after retirement that has become more of a, a priority for you? Um, and how would you classify it? But classify my own mental health? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, is there, I, I mean, I guess not your own, but I think in terms of like, how important do you think it is and, and why? Oh, yeah. Well, I think there's kind of some nuance there in terms of like when it comes to mental health, first of all, you've got nuance mm-hmm. um, of mindset, you know, and, and that's what a lot of the mental stuff is, is, is mindset. But what we don't talk about often enough is, is the mental health side of it. Um, I'm not a, like a psychologist, but every man that I know that's a high achiever also deals with depression mm-hmm. and i've been i've i i'm i'm manic depressive i'm very mildly manic depressive it's manageable it's not serious but what happens it's been a really helpful for me for most of my life because when i'm manic i'm like superman you know mm-hmm. and so when i was when i was working man i loved being manic you know the problem was i couldn't turn it off yeah you know and i burned myself out you know but i didn't want to turn it off because it made me unstoppable on all the things that I wanted to do, you know, and the depression side never really, um, never really was an issue. Um, my depression was more severe. I had, um, I guess this, about this time last year, I just started randomly having panic attacks. I mean, just completely debilitating panic attacks where I'd never experienced anything like it. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I don't worry ever. I've just never been a worrier. Um, I, I never like sit and doubt myself or any of that stuff. I'm not the type, the type of person that ever panics. 
Um, but for me, it just, it's like my mind just turned on me. I felt like, I felt like a rabbit that knew that a wolf was hunting it. And I just couldn't get out of it. You know, it's mm -hmm. like it hadn't, there was nothing going on. There was no trigger. I had no trauma from childhood or anything. It was just literally my brain just turned on me, you know, and, and the thing that I think, not that I think, but I know when it comes to depression is that there's a, almost a direct link that I've seen between, like I said, men that are high achievers also having depression issue issues with depression and i feel like what and it's a theory um, obviously i'm not a psychologist but i feel like that happens when at a certain point with every person if you're a high high achiever you're used to being able to hit whatever you aim at mm -hmm. and as you level up you aim at more and more difficult things but at a certain point what you're aiming at exceeds your ability to do whether yeah. it's just time or health or energy or whatever and when you when you when you've tied so much of your identity into your ability to go out and achieve when when all of a sudden you hit this wall of like i want to achieve more that more but i can't to me that's when i see those depressive episodes for men kick in mm -hmm. um and that's what happened with me that's what my depression was i i, I didn't i don't think i deal with the depression that most men deal with of you know feeling listless and not caring about anything or or whatever mine was just the panic attacks for just you know for three months not three months probably two months i just burned myself out for so long being manic that i just broke down mm -hmm. mentally and i and i just started having panic attacks and there was no trigger and the thing that i tell men about it is you know there's nothing to be ashamed of you know it, it's it's stupid I, I try to use a lot of analogies to just make things really clear. Yeah. You know, it's like if you're running a marathon and you, somebody runs into you and, you're, and you snap your leg, you're not weak because you can't finish the marathon. Your freaking leg is broken, dude. Yeah. Like it's yeah. broken. There's nobody is looking at you saying, Oh, you're a, you're a, a wuss. Yeah. Because you didn't finish the marathon. Like that's what mental illness is. Your brain is sick. It's broken. It's no different than having cancer or breaking a leg just because other people can't see it doesn't mean that it's not real. Right. And so I try to me, I'm not ashamed of it at all. I don't hide it at all. I'm perfectly, um, I'm perfectly comfortable with admitting that I have depression because, or that I, that I've dealt with it in the past and, and all that, because it's not something that, I did or didn't do on purpose. It's not something that I just chose to do. It's not like a, you know, you can look at the results of my life. I'm not a lazy man. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like I just don't know how to push through adversity, you know? Uh, and that's what I try to, when I do talk to, and a lot of men, and, and what's funny is that it's talking about leading, you know, as soon as I admit that I have depression, every man in my life, it's like this weight gets lifted off their shoulders. They're like, Oh yeah, I'm so glad you were the first one to would, to admit it, you know, because dude, I've been struggling with it too. And it's yeah. just, it's, it's frustrating to me that men don't, and, and women, I probably feel the same way too. I just, they don't talk to me yeah. about it, you know, uh, sure. to me, I just think it's, it, it's asinine that any of us are ashamed of it. You know, we shouldn't be any more ashamed of mental illness than we would be ashamed of having cancer. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just part of it, you know, for sure. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, uh, I've seen that too. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that like in, in the men's work I do or kind of the groups uh, I co-facilitate, I see that, you know, it, it's almost like the, I want to term the term it like the rule of vulnerability is it always takes one person. Right. Yeah. And, and as soon as one person is speaking up, everyone just feels relaxed. It takes the pressure off of them. They feel comfortable. They're able to speak about their mm -hmm. own issues and their issues might be bigger than the person who shared it first. Right. But it, it, it yeah. takes the edge off. And, uh, and that to me is what being a leader is, you know, is, is you go first. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, and it's important first. for sure. For sure. Yeah. And I think there's uh, uh, the other thing, uh, you know, if, if you really want to have compassion for mental health, it's, it's, again, it's to your point, no one chooses that suffering for themselves, right? Like obviously that they're suffering in that sense. And, you know, to your point, like with depression, there are obviously tendencies to be lazy, but nobody's suff choosing that suffering for themselves. It's, it's, they're almost in a trap and they just need that help or just someone to talk to at times to be able to break out of it. Well, and like the, 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 the worst part about depression is that you want to be better, mm -hmm. but you, it's like, you don't have the fuel in the tank to make yourself better, mm -hmm. you know? And so for me, when I went, when I went through my basically nervous breakdown, panic attack situation, you know, my wife didn't really understand what was going on at first. And I'm a big believer in over communicating, you know, and that's something that men are terrible at. I mean, just flat, terrible, you know, online men do a good job communicating, but in the real world, you know, you go, you just go randomly survey a hundred women at the grocery store and ask them how good a communicator their husband is. And the results are going to be ridiculous, just atrocious, you know, um, I'm a big believer in over communicating. And I think that's part of, being strong and being a leader is over communicating. And I sit down with my wife and I said, babe, I want to get better, but I have nothing to throw at this. I need, I will do whatever you tell me to do. I will go to the doctor's appointments. I'll take the medications. But if you're going to, if you're expecting me to fix it, I don't have anything to fix it with. It's like fighting smoke. Yeah. You know, when you're in the middle of depression, you don't have the, you know, and that's people that haven't ever been depressed. They judge the person that's in the middle of the depression and say, well, they just don't want to fix it. It's like, yes, they do. They just don't, they're putting their, they can put their foot as far down in the pedal as they want to. And there's, if there's no gas in the tank, they're not going to get anywhere. And yeah. that to me is the most crucial part of getting through depression is having somebody, not just that you can talk to, but having somebody that will literally climb in with you and help pull you out of it when you don't have the energy to pull yourself out. And I don't hear anybody really talking about that. Yeah. And in my experience, that's what pulled me out of it was my wife. You know, like I wanted to get better, but the thought of researching what doctors to go see and remembering to take what medications at this time and that time and change my diet in this way. Like when you're depressed, that's so overwhelming that it just yeah. makes you climb in climb into bed. Like you, you have to have, and so a couple of, I've got a couple of friends now that, once I've started talking about what I deal with, they're going through depression and they've reached out to me and, and literally I've, 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 they've been across the country and I, I said, listen, I'll take care of it. What's your email? What's your phone number? What's your address? And I've called and scheduled doctor's appointments for them. I've said, I've done some research. I think this person is here. I'm sending you the calendar invite. 
you know, what's your address? I'm sending you these supplements that I take that, that help me with this. You need to go, you know, sit in the sauna. There's a gym two miles from your house, drink this amount of water and just basically give them a list of instructions to follow. Yeah. Um, because I think that if you really want to help somebody with depression, people that haven't ever dealt with it, just don't understand that you want to get better desperately. You can't imagine how bad somebody wants to get better when they're in the middle of depression, but you have nothing to fight with. Yeah. Yeah. You know? No, um, I mean, yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. And, and exactly. Like, I think that's kind of the thing people need to be mindful of and, and just have that compassion for others who, who are struggling, not only with depression, but I think any mental health uh, challenges that people are encountering they're you know, they're, often people are feeling stuck and that's why they can't get out of it. And if they could, they would. Right. So, um, so there's that aspect of it. And I guess kind of shifting conversations, uh, conversation towards like being a father, like, you know, for you, like, obviously um, you kind of started young, uh, relatively speaking, but um, looking at it now, like what are some of the things that, you know, motivate you and, and how do you kind of, hold yourself accountable in terms of fatherhood. Like I know, especially recently, I've, I've talked about fatherhood quite a bit, but I think there's an aspect of grace and compassion that we need to have for ourselves as fathers. Uh, but then also, you know, having, having some level of responsibility towards our children as well and finding that balance. Like, so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, for me, I always one of the one of the rules of wisdom that I try to apply to everything is, you know, if you're trying to navigate out in the sea, you know, like these these sailors did in the 1700s, like you're if you don't have a north star, you're screwed. Mm -hmm. You have to have a fixed point that you're comparing to. What I don't see anybody really emphasizing enough you hear vague talks about vision and all these things but as far as holding myself accountable and all the things you're talking about with fatherhood and everything it's defining what your goal is first and letting and then working backwards from there mm -hmm. so because if not how do you know if you're doing a good job or not you have nothing to compare it to you don't have yeah. any context you know and so for me um one of the things that I've been kind of marinating on recently and just meditating on is, um, you know, I think we have this tendency and I don't know why, and I don't know when, but we think we've got to, especially as dads, it's like, they're only going to be in my house until they're 18 and I got to hurry up and teach them everything. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is through the process of teaching them all the time, we, 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 we look at our role as like, I've got to teach them and prepare them. The unintended consequence of that is that the way it comes across to the child is that nothing's ever good enough. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll do something and they'll do it 90% right. But as dads are like, oh, I got to teach, I got to teach, I got to teach, you got to get them ready for life. Mm -hmm. So we only ever talk about the 10% they do wrong and we have good intentions with doing that, you know, yeah. what we don't, what we fail to realize is that we're unconsciously telling, basically communicating that nothing's ever good enough. Mm -hmm. that's, that's how they receive it. Mm -hmm. is nothing's ever good enough. And you, that, you don't have to be a, a detached, angry, abusive father 
to communicate like that. I think if you don't do it and do it some other way intentionally, that's naturally what's going to happen is you're just going to unintentionally make them feel like nothing's good enough because you view your role as like, I have this finite amount of time that I have to prepare them for the world. Yeah. And I, and, and to me, that is the North star dads are using to navigate by. And it's a really, really bad North star to be using. So I've been, I've been trying to reframe that in my mind of like, if you really stop and think about it, the times that they're going to need me the most as their dad are going to be the times after they left my house. Every major event in their lives that they're going to need me the most are going to take place after they're, after they've gone. Yeah. Who they're going to marry. If they're, you know, having a career change. If you look back throughout history, most men lived near their sons and guided them until they died. It wasn't like, you live together until the kid was 18 and you never see each other again. Yeah. yeah. That's not how socially, that's not how we operate. We, yeah. Historically, as we're a social species, your dad, your parents are supposed to be there helping you. They're supposed to help you raise your kids. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes, you know, we've had these, this phrase like, Oh, it takes a village. You know, look at other cultures historically, you know, they need my help when they're raising kids, they're raising kids for the first time. They don't know what they're doing. They need my experience to be how to be there. And so for me, I look at it in terms of my North star with it is if the most important moments as a father are going to take place after they're gone from my house, what do I do right now? That's going to make it help, help build that relationship with them to where they want to seek me out in those mm-hmm. moments as an adult. And I don't, and I think men do a terrible job of that because we're, we're so authoritarian and corrective and everything they, you know, we, we unintentionally communicate that nothing they do is good enough. Yeah. So as soon, so in order for them to feel like they're their own man, they've got to go do it without you. Yeah. The only way they feel like they're good enough is I'm not going to ask my dad for help because nothing I do is ever enough. Exactly. And that to me is, is the worst thing that we, if that means I'm too soft right now, if that means I, I, I leave them unprepared for something as an adult right now, I'm willing to make that sacrifice. If it means that I'm investing into when they're 25 years old and they're having a fight with their wife and they're in the, and they don't know, they don't know what to do. I want them to be, I got to call my dad. Yeah. yeah. Not like, I hope my dad doesn't find out I'm having marital problems. They're, you know, that, that's, that's what basically the way we raise our kids is we're, we all, we always point out their mistakes. And so they'd start hiding the mistakes from us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like most kids reactions like, Oh shit, I hope my dad doesn't find out I did that. Mm-hmm. What I want for my kids, what I try to do as a father is when my kids mess up, I want them to say, Oh shit, I need to call my dad. That's my North star. Yeah. Yeah. And if anything that I do in the short term comes at the cost of that, then it's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And, and that's well put. And I, I think the only thing I would add there is one of the realizations I've had personally recently is when I look at my son, I often, you know, same thing, like I'm trying to guide him and, and teach him stuff and protect him from making mistakes. But the other side of it, like, as you mentioned, is him wanting to come to me for help but also he's at an age where this is the beauty of being young 
is, is you're exploring, you're creative, you're making mistakes, you're learning. And, and when you try to like define the box for them and it's too narrow, uh, you're taking away that opportunity from them to be that creative, yeah. imaginative self that we often well, wish and, we are. Yeah. And, and to that point, I would even add as a father, you know, I talked about when I went through my depression and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times as dads, we play the character of a parent instead of just being us. Mm-hmm. So I'm very vocal with my kids about my mistakes. I let them see me mess up. Yeah. When I was going through my depression, I didn't go hide it. I told yeah. them, here's what's going on. Because when you go through this someday, I want you to know that it's okay. Mm-hmm. And I want you to know that it's normal. And I want you to know that it doesn't make you weak. Yeah. You know, I'm planting those seeds right now because they're going to come to a point in time more than likely. And I don't want them to even have to deal with the stigma part of it. They'll say, oh, I remember my dad went through this. It's normal, you know. And so that's another thing that I really try to do. You know, you hear that phrase, your kids, your kids are going to remember what you what you did, what you do, not what you say. Yeah. And so I try to live in front of them. You know, I don't play the character of a dad mm-hmm. that knows everything. You yeah. Know? I just, I think to me, that's the best way that I can lead them and say, man, I really screwed that up. Mm-hmm. You know, man, I'm struggling with depression today. Man, yeah. I haven't been disciplined lately, you know, because that's what dads do. They'll sit in there, point their finger at their kid for not doing their homework or not practicing hard enough sports or not being disciplined while they sit on their couch watching football. Yeah. yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's like, yeah. And you wonder why your kid thinks you're a hypocrite and won't listen to you as soon as he leaves the house. Yeah. You know, hold yourself to the same standard that you're holding your kids to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you lose a lot of trust when you do that. And and that's something I try to uh, remind myself constantly, but also other people is, you know, to your point, they're, they're often watching us for uh, role modeling and, and an example rather than sitting around listening to us what, and what we're saying. So that's, yeah. that's great. Um, and I guess on the last piece, like, you know, you've mentioned your wife and it sounds like you guys have an amazing relationship what are some things that you're doing as a, as a husband uh, along the same lines of, you know, holding yourself accountable and, and showing up as your best self uh, in that, in that role in your life? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, I mean, you did mention the, the communication piece, obviously, right? That's huge. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, first of all, it's easy because, for, for me and my wife in particular, the friendship part has always been easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the romance part has actually been the struggle for us. You know, a lot of people fall in love and it's all intense emotions, but they're not actually that, that friendly with each other. Um, I think the biggest, the biggest thing that I feel like we do really well in our, in our relationship is that we address we're very vocal. We over communicate, um, and we don't bury our heads in the sand and hope problems go away. You know, mm-hmm. we we if something's going on, we talk about it. Um, we fight. You know, people try to avoid fighting. You know, conflict. Everybody's trying to avoid conflict, and that's another one of those you know North Star things. Like conflict is an opportunity. You know, conflict with your spouse is the best opportunity 
to get closer. And if you learning how to address those things and, and have conflict and that's, and it's taken years, but now, you know, me and my wife, it's not something we dread, you know, it's something that we, we, we know going into the conflict that we're going to feel closer afterwards. Um, so there's kind of this, it's almost like a dessert at the end, you know, like, you know, there's going to be this, this closeness afterwards. Um, and it really takes, you know, real, just realizing that it's, that she's another person, like it, as a man, you know, we try to apply logic. We try to apply manly, manly principles to our wives and our wives just aren't, aren't wired like us, you know? Um, and so for me, it's just about, you know, would you, you ask any man, I guess here's, here's one way I would put it. You know, if you ask any man, you know, he would die for his wife. Somebody broke in the house. You know, we like, even as little boys, they fantasize about dying, you know, rescuing their yeah. girlfriend or their wife or whatever, you know, that's just hardwired. You know, what we don't do is we don't die on the daily parts. You know, we don't, mm. we don't, we don't die to our preferences and our comfort for the sake of hers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to go out in this big heroic way of dying to save your spouse. You know, yeah. it's not as heroic to, to say, really, I'm, I'm really not in the mood to sit and talk to you for two and a half hours tonight, yeah. but I know it fills your cup. So I'm going to, yeah. you know, I want to sit and zone out. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know that, you know, like my wife, um, my wife might have something where it's like really important to her that we get the garage cleaned up. And it's like, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the garage is clean, you know, but just stop. I just, I, I, what I've had to learn is to stop expecting her to think like me and be like me and just do it because it matters to her. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to die in the little things on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And what happens is it just, there's, there's going to be one of two cycles going on in your relationship. There's either going to be, if you, if you point the finger at her, she's going to point the finger back at you and you could spiral downwards, or you can point the finger at yourself and she'll point the finger at herself and you can spiral upwards. If I mm-hmm. sacrifice for her and I die to my selfish selfishness or my preference, or the main thing is my logic. That's the thing that has to die the most often. And I think that would apply to a lot of men is like, yeah, I, you, what your wife wants or what's stressing her out or what she's upset about or whatever might not make any sense to you, but you know what? It doesn't have to make sense to you. Mm-hmm. Just do it because you need to die for her. Mm-hmm. That is the way you can serve her is to let your logic die and just say, I don't, it, whether it makes sense to me or not, I'm going to give it my best yeah. because I love you. And it starts this positive cycle of one of two cycles. If I do that for her, then she fills my cup because I have times where I need a lot, I need downtime. You know, men, men process things internally, women process things externally in my experience. Yeah. You know, so for me to process my day, I need alone time. I need quiet. My brain is buffering. Like there's nothing going on. Right. You know, that's how I process. My wife doesn't. Um, and so the more that I fill her cup on helping her process her day by talking, the more she's 
not just willing, but enthusiastically willing yeah. to let me have alone time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I it's, it's the emotional bank account, right? Like you, you keep yeah. filling it up and then you can make those withdrawals, but mm-hmm. because you've got a pretty hefty balance, you're not going below zero. And, and, and I, and, is- I, and I think the, I think women do a really good job of trying now they do it in their own love language, mm-hmm. but women do a really good job of trying to make those investments in the relationship. Yeah. It's the men who don't do either. They, you know, not me and you, and probably not even the men listening to this, but just the, the feedback that I, that I, that I get personally, the comments that I, that I see on posts online you know, women want to want to have their marriage be good. It's the men typically that are just indifferent. They're like, yeah, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work and I'm coming home. And that's yeah. those, those are the men that piss me off. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think yeah. uh, earlier what you were saying around the sacrifice piece too, I think there's an aspect of the ego that gets involved. And, you know, I think I've experienced it too, where, you know, the second you could kind of keep your ego in check and look at the bigger picture, you could see that, hey, you know, like maybe this isn't a big deal for me, but it is for her. And how can I do this? Right. And, and then, yeah, so I think uh, a lot of it makes sense. And, and I think everything you've shared, uh, again, very helpful and, and wise. So I appreciate everything you've shared. Uh, yeah. And thank you for this conversation. Um, and I think, I know you mentioned you just started this whole sh- social media journey, but uh, for listeners that want to get a hold of you or speak with you, what are some ways they can they can find you? Um, my the main the main one that I'm that I'm doing right now is is really just Instagram. I'm kind of starting there. It seems like it's the best platform for for the audience that I'm kind of uh, trying to reach. Um, and so I'm on Instagram. My Instagram is at the Wisdom of Kings. That's going to be the book title. Um, and I'm, and I'm putting out, um, content like what we're talking about daily. I think you've, you've seen a lot of it. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of content that I'm putting out, uh, around topics like this, just trying to, you know, really, to me, the key of wisdom is having, is having that context, you know, those North stars, um, you know, talking about ego, um, everybody has an ego, but Mm -hmm. when you have a goal that you care about more it's easy to swallow your ego for the sake of a goal. Yeah. Right. And, and that to me is what I'm trying to do is with, with all the content that I'm doing is just helping point out that context so that it makes the rest of this stuff just happen and make it easy. Yeah, for sure. No, that's great. Uh, Good luck with the book. And I'm sure you and I will be talking more, but uh, I, I really appreciate this. So thank you, Ryan. Hey, I appreciate you having me. This is my first podcast. So (laughs) first of many. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. As always, please subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy the episodes or leave a comment in the comment section. I always love hearing from you. Thank you again. And until next week.